Welcome to episode 292 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, biohacker and author of What When Wine. Lose weight and feel great with paleo-style meals, intermittent fasting, and wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Cynthia Thurlow, nurse practitioner and author of Intermittent Fasting Transformation, the 45-day program for women to lose stubborn weight, improve hormonal health, and slow aging. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and cynthiatherlow.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this show do not constitute medical advice or treatment, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. So, pour yourself a mug of black coffee, a cup of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, I'm about to tell you how to get an exclusive discount on one of my favorite products for truly upgrading your health on a cellular level. So the new year is upon us and it's often a time where people are really trying to instill new habits and really upgrade their health. There's something I have been using for years, not just at the new year, Literally every single day of my life, I am not making that up. Even when I travel, I have a way to address it then, which I will tell you about. And it's something that is so easy and feels amazing. That is red light and near-infrared therapy. Okay, so friends, you could go somewhere and pay a lot of money to do red light near-infrared therapy sessions, or you could just bring it to your home and use it every single day. That's what I do. I've been using Juve red and near-infrared light therapy devices for so long. There are so many clinically proven benefits of red light therapy. That includes improving your skin. Yes, you really will notice it. Faster muscle recovery, reduced pain and inflammation, enhanced sleep, and so much more. I use it in the morning and evening as ambient light because it actually mimics the setting and rising sun. And then I sort of run it throughout the day as well to help combat all of the blue light that we're exposed to, which can have a negative effect on our health. Whenever I have muscle pain, I shine Juve on the muscle. For me, it has made the pain go away instantly. And then for chronic pain, when I do continued sessions, it's made it dissipate. One of my good friends who is a doctor uses these devices on his, shall we say, manhood for benefits there. Yes, it can help in that department as well. I honestly could not imagine my life without Juve. You will just feel so good using these devices. People also post all the time in our Facebook group of their pets gravitating towards the Juve because intuitively they just know that it's good for them. The reason Juve can address so many things related to health is because it actually affects our cells on the mitochondrial level. Basically, it makes those cells perform better. And when those cells are performing better, everything just works better. That's why, yes, Juve can help with your energy as well. I've been recommending Juve specifically for years because the quality of their devices are the best. Their modular design allows for a variety of setup options to give you flexibility. The treatments are so easy. You can do them in as little as 10 minutes, or you can be using it all throughout the day like I do. All you have to do is relax and let your body take in the light. They also have their Juve Go, which you can travel with. Yes, that is how I really do use this every single day. That Go is also great for targeting specific areas of your body, like hurting joints or sore muscles. Honestly, friends, health doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be complicated. If you're looking to enhance your health and wellness this new year, start with what matters, which is your cells. And Juve has an amazing offer just for our audience. You can go to juve.com slash ifpodcast and use the coupon code ifpodcast to get a discount on your qualifying order. Again, that's j-o-o-v-v.com forward slash ifpodcast to get an exclusive discount on your order. Pick up Juve today. Some exclusions apply. I really hope you guys can experience Juve. It really is one of my favorite things. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during 
during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome. This is episode number 292 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Cynthia Thurlow, and I'm here with Scott Emmons, co-founder and COO of MD Logic Health. Cynthia, thank you for having me on the IF Podcast. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Absolutely. And so today we're going to unpack creatine. I think this is certainly a supplement that I used to have you know, probably prejudicial thought processes on, but the more I've understood the science and the more that I've understood about the benefits of creatine, both for men and women, the more I was interested in sharing the research and connecting with you. And I'd really love to start the conversation there. What exactly is creatine? So creatine is an organic acid. Uh, it is endogenously produced in the body. You can also take it as a supplement. It's a combination of three amino acids, which are arginine, glycine, and methionine. And it's produced in the kidneys and in the liver. Yeah, it's interesting. When I was doing my you know, research before we even talked about bringing creatine to market, was that the liver and the kidneys produce two grams a day on their own, and it's all stored in our skeletal muscle. And so, you know, for me, I think from my perspective as a clinician, what I understood about creatine was that it was something just utilized by bodybuilders. And what I've come to find out is that it's so, there's so many variations of creatine. There's so many options available. The two consistent things that I saw in the literature that really stood out for me was the improvement on muscle health and muscle strength, and then also the cognitive benefits. And so you know, from my perspective, this is something that's applicable to everyone. It's not just, you know, gender specific. It really is applicable to everyone. Well, it's been like a second coming for me, Sylvia, because I started out as a biology major and a bodybuilder in college. So I'm very familiar with creatine. And I had used it back in the days when you, know, you took 20 grams and it was sort of, that was it. It was a bodybuilding supplement. 20 grams, by the way, is a lot way too much in fact can really cause some dry upset kidney damage and, and so forth over the long term but at lower doses it's you know it's really an effective product what i was so blown away by was after you know 
30 years out of sort of the bodybuilding scene, dating myself a little, I, I could not believe how many studies are continuing to go on with this product and how much more benefits they're seeing across a wide array of issues, including brain health. That was the one I think that shocked me the both, most was the number of different studies that are ongoing or that are in early trials for various different brain health issues. Yeah. And so because you started your experiences with creatine at a different stage of life, what have been some of the common misconceptions that you have seen or heard over the last 30 years, particular to creatine use? I think, first of all, that it causes weight gain or weight gain in women, which is highly unlikely, if not zero probability, that it can be very dangerous with a lot of controversy about the danger of creatine. It's, in fact, one of the most studied supplements that I've ever seen. It's been studied and researched well over well over 30 years at this point. So its safety is, is pretty much unparalleled. And then the other sort of misconception, because A, it's only for bodybuilders or for only for men, or that it's only for athletes. When, in fact, the research shows that there are many people that can benefit, particularly like vegans and women that benefit from making sure to maintain muscle mass, especially you know, postmenopausal. So there's just a tremendous amount of research coming out. That this is a an everyone sort of nutrient that your body requires creatine. In fact, if you have void of creatine, it can cause some pretty significant problems. Absolutely. And it's interesting because I admittedly was a little prejudicial in, in my thought process. And I think it was because my knowledge of creatine was really related to the bodybuilding set. And at one time, I was an ER nurse in inner city Baltimore, and I saw quite a bit of people that are using anabolic steroids, and they were using other types of supplementation. And I'm sure that creatine probably got lumped in with some of the other side effects that were completely unrelated to the creatine utilization and more a byproduct of illegal exogenous use of anabolic steroids. Yeah, I, I can attest to that. Having been in that world, you know, you would get approached with someone trying to study something that was illegal on a regular basis. And as a person of health, it just wasn't, you know, in, in my wheelhouse. So I had to understand how these products worked. And I, I was a big supplement user in my early age because in order to compete with people that were using anabolic steroids, made, you know, they could go eat a pizza and still look ripped. Whereas for me, you know, I, I was doing things like creatine and things like boron and zinc combinations and other minerals, amino acids, back to branch chain amino acids and full, you know, the essential amino acids way before they became sort of popular or in vogue. There was definitely a large combination of people joining creatine and other, including diuretics, which can cause other serious problems. Yeah, absolutely. And for full disclosure, I had been skeptical about creatine until my very well-researched trainer who's also an attorney. She's got a really interesting background. She was actually sharing the research last fall and kept saying, I really think you should consider supplementation with creatine. And the one thing that I have found personally, and we'll talk about this today, you know, the benefits of creatine, how it works in the body was that I went from as a menopausal female, when women really do struggle with, you know, not only building, but maintaining muscle mass, unless they're taking exogenous testosterone, I was able to consistently lift heavier weight week to week. And I was able to see more of those gains. And we we track all of our metrics because she and I are a little bit OCD about this. And so for me, I kept saying, if I am capable of achieving and maintaining muscle mass at the stage of life I'm in, then this is something that could be really beneficial for other women and certainly other men that are considering you know, wanting to build, maintain muscle mass because we think of muscle as an organ of longevity. And certainly I follow really closely with Dr. Gabrielle Lyon's work. And she was very excited when I told her that I was seriously considering bringing creatine on as my first product in conjunction with MD Logic. So let's talk a little bit about what creatine does. And so from a technical perspective, creatine rephosphorylates utilized ATP. So ATP is this energy molecule in the body. And so adenosine triphosphate becomes adenosine diphosphate when you move muscles. So your body's using this energy when you're moving your muscles. And creatine actually attaches another phosphorus group to ADP. So it's a way to keep recycling, you know, creating this stored energy 
And for anyone that's that's listening, that's saying, I don't even know what you're talking about. We're talking about what goes on inside the mitochondria. And I know that well, this is a very savvy, you know, science-oriented listener base. And so really think about like, this is going on in the mitochondria. So the powerhouses of our cells. And I think what's important for, for people to understand too, is that I think sometimes we associate ATP with just our muscle cells. But in fact, it's all of our cells, right? It's every, it's your brain cells, it's your heart cells, it's your, it's all of the cells in your body, your, your immune cells, every cell in your body requires ATP for energy. If you run out of energy, then you're going to run out of life. What creatine is able to do is, to your point, make that ADP turn back into ATP, which is sort of the foundational molecule for our energy, much faster. If you've got creatine stored in your body, and creatine serum in your blood, you're going to replace that quicker. And your brain and your heart probably use up more ATP and more energy than any two organs in your, in your body. So it makes sense when you think about how it could work for your brain because of the way that it works on ATP. Absolutely. And it's involved in energy mobilization and metabolism in the brain. I also think about the net impact on things like glycine and GABA, which impacts sleep. So as women, especially in their perimenopausal years, 10 to 15 years preceding menopause and their ovaries are producing less progesterone, this is a time when upregulation of GABA is really important for high quality sleep. And so when you really dive into the research, one of the things I found interesting, and there's a great article that we'll link up. It's called Creatine Supplementation in Women's Health, a Lifespan Perspective. And the researchers here really talk about how creatine has a place throughout a woman's lifetime, not just perimenopause and menopause, but your menstrual cycle. We're not going to touch on pregnancy or lactation because I don't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole, but there is research that kind of touches on how this can be beneficial. And you know, it's not just, as you said, it's not just the muscles, but it's really a systemic supplement that has a lot of benefits. And the one thing that I really like about this article in particular is that it admits, despite extensive research on creatine, evidence for use among females is understudied. So they acknowledge, like many things, there's not enough research being done on women in peak fertile years and perimenopause and menopause, but they do see the importance during, it actually says supplementation during menses, pregnancy, postpartum, during and postmenopause. Again, we're not talking about pregnant or lactating women, but we'll talk about women that are still in their peak fertile years, perimenopause and menopause, that there really are quite a bit of benefits from supplementation. Yeah, absolutely. It's not surprising that it wasn't studied in women. That happens you know, quite often. I did find it interesting that there are some variations in women there have or store creatine. So I'd like to talk about that when, when we get a chance. But I didn't read this the research that you read on on sleep and GABA upregulation. Tell me a little bit more about that. It's interesting that it can have a positive net impact on. So there's an excitatory neurotransmitter, and that's glutamic acid. And then there's a you know kind of inhibitory neurotransmitter, and that's GABA. And so the thought process is, is that the creatine absorption will upregulate the inhibitory neurotransmitters. It also has some impact on neuronal ATP resynthesis, which impacts areas in the brain that'll impact memory, cognition, and attention. So it, again, it's down-regulating excitatory areas of the brain and, and helping to facilitate concentration as well as relaxation. So there was research in, in one of the articles that I had shared with you talking a little bit about the sleep piece. It wasn't a huge area of focus, but I think in particular for individuals that are north of 35 or 40, where sleep becomes much more of a, I always say jokingly, it becomes an art form. All of a sudden you have to think a whole lot more about it. You have to think about what you're doing, preceding bed, what you eat, what you drink, whether that's alcoholic or not, and all the things you need to do in order to help facilitate sleep. One of the things that it talks about in particular was this brain metabolism. And then also secondarily to that, it's involved in the synthesis of key neurotransmitters. So it's actually found in the cerebral spinal fluid, which is important. And there are actual dopamine and serotonin and creatine metabolites that they're finding in the cerebral spinal fluid, which means that it must have some good absorption. So when we talk about the blood-brain barrier, there are some things that are able to cross the blood-brain barrier, and there's some things that are not able to cross the blood-brain barrier. And so that's pretty significant. If we're getting, you know, cerebral spinal fluid levels, then you've got some good absorption in the brain, which a lot of supplements and drugs do not have good absorption in the brain. And that can, you know, complicate how well or how effective they can be. 
I saw another article on just specifically creatine and brain health and talked about being able to cross the blood brain barrier. The fact that it was able to do that really gave the brain some neuroprotective properties as well. And I think that that also could be because the brain has more energy. The big one that, that was interesting, and I think this goes back to the ability to focus uh, and concentrate, and not get excited, right? So this, it's usually if you have a stimulant or something that gives you energy, it's going to make you jittery, right? But this has the opposite effect where it calms you, but also gives your brain the ATP that it needs to perform. And so the, the hypothesis is that your brain fatigue comes from the fact that it's eating up the ATP faster than it can create it. So that that creatine crossing the blood-brain barrier really allows your cognition to kind of be at a, a constant steady level, which is, I think, where the real benefit for so many of us come from. And if you're getting good sleep on top of that, well, then your cognition is going to just continue to enhance. And one thing I just want to go back to, simply, when you first started taking it, you felt yourself getting stronger. And I wanted to point that out because as a former bodybuilder and personal trainer, one of the things that happens, you can start to lift heavier weight. It then becomes a positive cycle upward. Because as you lift heavier weight, you get stronger. As you get stronger, you get bigger and stronger muscles. Of course, you, you hit a point where you know, you've hit sort of a plateau. But the fact that that gives you that jump start to be able to lift heavier weights allows for both your skeletal system to get stronger your joints to get stronger, as well as your muscles to get stronger and protect yourself from sarcopenia, which I know we're going to talk about later, which really is a serious disease at the end of the day. I mean, it's sort of the beginning of the end, end stage of life and certainly a predictor for longevity. I think that a good place to start is perhaps talking a little bit about gender differences. There's no question that men and women can both benefit but it's interesting, like from a perspective that women actually make less creatine than men as mm -hmm. a standard. And so, I mean, that could be related to so many different factors, but understanding that just at a cellular level, our bodies make less of this substance. So I would argue that it makes it even more important to consider supplementation to help maintain muscle mass, brain cognition. And when we're really looking at such a small percentage of the population, back to brain health, only seven to 8% of Americans right now are metabolically flexible. And, you know, this is research looking post-pandemic. Pre-pandemic, it was, you know, 12%. Now even less people. And so really thinking about ways to augment metabolic flexibility. One of those is really leaning into lifting weights, intermittent fasting or eating less often. It could be 12-hour feeding window. Just really understand there are a lot of things within our control that we can do to utilize supporting health and wellness. And I always say, my greatest hope is that people look at, they don't fear aging, but they understand that you don't want to just survive. You want to thrive at each stage of life. If you're peak fertile years, perimenopause, menopause, really important to understand you want to have a high quality of life. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's definitely differences between men and women and women do make significantly less creatine. From the research I could see, uh, estrogen did play a role in that and it did, it did sort of go along with, with the cycle. So there definitely seems to be something there, which to your point makes it all the more important for certain populations. I think women being one of them, which is ironic because it's been utilized in the male bodybuilding world for so long. But in reality, women will benefit tremendously from creatine. Yeah, there's a really good graphic that's in this one study that I'm looking at, and it's talking about the menstrual cycle may influence creatine homeostasis due to the cyclical nature of sex hormone regulation. You mentioned in particular that it's sensitive to estrogen which also explains why women in perimenopause and menopause that are having these faltering amounts of estrogen may have even greater needs. But you can actually plot on this graph they have on the x-axis is creatine kinase activity and estrogen and progesterone concentrations. And then on the y-axis, they're looking at different phases, the follicular, ovulation, luteal phases, which everyone on this podcast is very familiarized with. And you can literally look at how they plot out glycogen storage, carbohydrate oxidation, dependent on how much sex hormones are and where they are peaking and, and where they are ebbing and flowing throughout the menstrual cycle. And so it's interesting that we know that estrogen influences creatine and also creatine kinase, and that estrogen in and of itself is a master regulator of bioenergetics. Yeah. So what does that mean? As we are losing estrogen, either in our menstrual cycle or in perimenopause or menopause, it is a direct reflection of 
the loss of insulin sensitivity. So obviously in middle age, it's going to eventually be a permanent thing unless you're taking hormone replacement therapy for menstruating women, peak fertile years, they have cyclical alterations in their estrogen month to month. And that is, you know, the ebbs and flows. They have days where it's higher and lower throughout their menstrual cycle. Whereas with middle-aged women, it's it's they're on a downward trend. Ultimately, they'll be on a downward trend. Yeah, that's very that's very interesting. So when you said that estrogen is the is the master hormone for what was the the verbiage that, that they you used the term bioenergetics. Bioenergetics. Which makes sense. So essentially, once you have no estrogen, your bioenergetics is essentially completely downregulated. You're no longer in anabolic growth phase of any kind. You're really in this catabolic phase unless you're actively, progressively working against it. And so from my perspective, is we've kind of touched on you know sarcopenia, which is this muscle loss with aging. And it's not a question of if, but when. You know, people, if you think you do nothing, and I, and I can now recognize middle-aged women or even older women that are just kind of just skinny. And it's because they've lost their muscle mass. They really start replacing adipose tissue, which is highly inflammatory with our muscle tissue. And I I always use the analogy because I'm very visual. When we're looking at non-sarcopenic or healthy muscle tissue, it looks like filet versus a ribeye. You know, people love eating ribeye, but we don't want to become a ribeye. And I use that to understand like the marbling in the meat is what starts happening to your muscle because you're you're losing muscle mass. In fact, I was at an event this summer, actually with Gabrielle Line and a few other people, and there was a special type of scale that you stepped on and it could tell you pretty accurately how much muscle mass you had on. And she and I had a pretty good laugh when we were looking at my results. But the point of what I'm trying to make to everyone is that you want to maintain muscle mass like your life depends on it. And I don't think I appreciated that enough in my 20s and 30s. And certainly, you know, you start seeing the slippery slopes. 40 is about when we start losing a significant amount of muscle mass and then it just accelerates. So you wanted to be doing all the things you can to maintain as much as possible so that you're less at risk for metabolic diseases, insulin resistance, et cetera. And Cindy, I've heard you talk about this on, on the podcast, the IF podcast before, and it's in everyday wellness as well, that you know, sarcopenia is sort of a, it it creeps up on you, but also that when you're in your twenties and thirties, you know, what should you be doing? And in my personal opinion and experience, people that have built up their muscle in their twenties and thirties, when they have all those anabolic, natural anabolic hormones circulating through their blood tend to do much better when they hit their forties and fifties, if they're kind of continuing, even if they're just doing a maintenance workout or sort of just push up and pull ups, the basics you'll see that the people that kind of had that that foundation tend to stay better. So if you're in your 40s, I mean, it's never too late to start, right? But if you're in your 40s and you haven't been working out, you probably should hit the gym and, and get a trainer and learn how to work out. It's the point of no return. And that's the point where you've really got to face the fact that, hey, if I don't have muscle in my 60s and 70s, my 80s are going to be rough. And that's that's the way you, you don't just have longevity, but you have health span. If you want to be healthy in your 80s, you got to be able to get yourself up out of a chair, you know, without using your arm, just to be able to stand up. And that sounds easy. But when you're 80, it's not so easy. So I completely agree that, A, you've got to make sure that you have a foundation. If you're 20 or 30 now, and you're listening to this podcast, start making your muscles strong now. You won't regret it. You'll never regret having really strong lower legs and really strong arms and shoulders and a strong back and a strong core. You're never going to regret that. And creatine is one of those things that will help you get to that place in a very natural way. It's a natural substance that you get from meat, but your body is usually excreting more than it's taking in. And extra creatine has been demonstrated time and time again to help you get there. The other statement you said that I thought was profound is that you're in a constant state of catabolic state, constant catabolic state after menopause. Well, that basically means you're, you're eating your own muscle tissue, right? And that is a, a dangerous place to be. And so I would really recommend that those folks also you know, hit the gym to take both protein, whether that's in the form of essential amino acids or whether that's in the form of a protein powder combined with the creatine or get the protein from your, from your diet. But somehow you've got to be getting about a gram per pound, in my opinion, protein a day. You might be less for women, maybe 0.8 grams per pound. You definitely need to have that protein. And creatine is one of those things that make that protein store all that better for you. All that said, 
it's all going to work much better for you if you're working out with, with weight. Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get my favorite electrolytes for free, plus special announcement, Element's new chocolate medley is here. So when you think electrolytes, you might think summer and hot times and needing to stay hydrated. But did you know that hydration is actually super important in cold weather as well? There's an idea out there that cold weather reduces our hydration needs. That's not true. So in the cold, two main things can actually increase our metabolic rate. You may be working harder, tramping through the snow, and you can be wearing cumbersome winter clothing that can actually raise your energy needs by 10 to 20%. And as your metabolic rate raises, your sweat rate raises, and you need to replace those fluids with electrolytes. You also lose more water when it's cold through your breath. That's because cold temperatures contain significantly less water than hot temperatures, AKA it's drier outside. When you breathe in that cold, dry air, your respiratory system actually acts like a humidifier so that your body can be warm and humid like it likes to be. Of course, that drains your hydration reserves as well. One study actually found that respiratory water loss after a full day of activity nearly doubled at freezing temperatures compared to the 70s. On top of that, when you're cold, you actually become less thirsty, possibly from blood vessel constrictions in the cold, which can trick the body into thinking the blood volume is higher than it is. In other words, it's cold out there. You probably need hydration. And electrolytes are so key for all of these cellular processes in your body, all of your energy production. It all requires electrolytes, but it can be hard to find electrolytes, which are clean, without unnecessary fillers, and which you can feel good about drinking. That's why I love Element. There's a reason I'm obsessed with it. There's a reason all you guys are as well. And like I said, I'm so excited because Element's new chocolate medley is here featuring chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. And this is a limited time, so you definitely want to stock up on these now. Plus, you can get a free gift with purchase when you purchase that chocolate medley or other Element electrolytes. That's right, you can get a free sample pack, eight single serving packets for free with any Element order. It's a great way to try all eight flavors or share Element with a salty friend. You can get yours at drinklmnt.com slash ifpodcast. That's drinklmnt.com slash ifpodcast. By the way, those chocolates in that chocolate medley make delicious hot chocolates. And of course, as always, Element has a no questions asked refund, so you have nothing to lose. So go to drinklmnt.com slash ifpodcast to get your free electrolytes. No, I agree with you. And you really bring up some excellent points. And, and I always use myself as an example because it makes it relatable we have muscle memory. So if we've been working our muscles for years, or even if we go through a period of time where we take a break, when we go back to training, we'll be able to get back to where we were a little bit faster than someone that's new. But in 2019, I spent 13 days in the hospital. And I lost 15 pounds, all of which was mostly muscle. And there were many, many months where I was convinced I was, I was using bands. I mean, they had me doing body weight exercise and then bands, and then I could finally graduate to using weights. And the one thing my trainer said, because at that point I was coming back from a long hospitalization, I did hire a trainer because I didn't want to hurt myself. And I remember him saying, you know, you're at an advantage because your muscles, although you lost a lot of your muscle mass, your muscles, once they start growing again, they'll know what they need to be doing. And so I encourage everyone to, if you're not currently lifting or, or doing weight training, even if you start with body weight exercises and then graduate to bands and then graduate to dumbbells and then graduate to, you know, get to a point where maybe you're using machines, really take the time to be thoughtful about understanding the physiology of your body. I mean, there's so many, I don't believe in having regrets, but I do wish someone had talked to me in my twenties and thirties about the fact that when you're at your peak bone and muscle mass, and then you just start to have this slow, slow decline that you don't even, you may not even be perceptible for a long period of time. And men go through this too. Let me be very clear. Andropause is a real thing. So men, much like women, they may not have as exaggerated demonstration. You know, women go through reverse puberty. That's essentially what's happening in perimenopause. Men can go through andropause and they may have trouble maintaining muscle. They may have trouble building muscle. And so most of the reason why men in the States start losing testosterone is from exogenous sources of estrogen mimicking chemicals, also from insulin resistance. So again, we go back to the same things about maintaining metabolic flexibility, how important that is. And I'm sure for those of you that are familiar with both Melanie and 
my single podcast, we talk a lot about toxins we get exposed to our environment, our personal care products, our food. It is important. You do want to care about those things, but maintaining muscle mass is of particular significance. And if you're not currently lifting, you can change that. If you start off really simply, it can make such a big difference. And the one thing that I found, you know, working in hospitals for over 20 years, there's nothing more sad than having a 55-year-old patient that can't get off a bedside commode because their muscles in their quadriceps, which are their big muscles in their legs, have atrophied from lack of use. If you don't use it, you will lose it. And that's why I think it's so important to understand that we're not saying this, you know, just just related to aesthetics. We're just saying from a from a functional perspective, you want to be able to get out of bed, you want to be able to get off a toilet, you don't want to fall. You know, fall risk is significant. You don't have to be 60, 70, or 80 years old to be at a fall risk. We had plenty of younger patients that were just so sedentary that they had really lost their muscle mass. They didn't even realize it until they got to the hospital and they were so weak. They just couldn't do normal, we call them ADLs, activities of daily living. And this is quite significant. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I can relate to that on two personal notes. First, you know, at 52, I, I, I feel like I might be hitting andropause. Uh, is, that a, is that a real term? It is a real pause. It, a real pause. It is a real term, but it's not utilized as openly probably as menopause. So it's getting more difficult for me to maintain muscle mass. But to your earlier point, two things. One, on a, on a humorous note, you work you work out for 15 years. You know, you put on 30 pounds of muscle. You spend 13 days in the hospital and bam, you know, you lose 15 pounds of muscle like that. It's not quite fair on, on the work, work in, you know, how fast you, you lose that. But that goes to show you that if you're not maintaining it through diet and exercise and supplementation, you're, you're going to lose it just naturally. So I do feel that. In fact, since we started working on this project together, I've been taking, I've been up my dose of creatine. I used to take it like every other day or when I worked out. Now I'm taking it every day. And I've actually seen a difference in about just the last couple of weeks. So that, that's been nice. But really my dad, thank my dad, who was seventy-four. This was four years ago. We went to Lake George, and we were at my uncle's house, and he couldn't he couldn't get out of the boat. I had to literally pick my dad up out of the boat, and I looked. I took my dad in the house room, and we chatted for a while. Later that night, I just sat him down, and I said, "Hey, you know, we're going to have to get you working out again because if you can't get out of a boat by yourself and you're living on your own, I'm nervous where you're where you're heading." Let me say, and I didn't call it sort of opinion, but I said muscle wasting at your age is the first sign of you know you, you kind of going downhill. I know what your life goals are, and at seventy four, shouldn't be not able to get out of a boat, right? And now he's on the stairmaster doing an hour and a half a day, and I'm thinking he's out, he's doing better than I am. <laughs> so, so I'm really proud of him. But I saw that firsthand, you know, at seventy four, he's in better shape at seventy eight than he was at seventy four. It just goes to show you that you don't have to be twenty and still see benefits from weight training and physical activity. We are designed as human beings to be active. And I, unfortunately, probably not our listeners, but, you know, looking at the general population here in the United States, people are far less active than they should be. And it just becomes, it's almost like a domino effect. I had plenty of cardiology patients that they would say, you know, it's just, it's too hard to kind of get back in the game. And one thing that I will, I will share with the listeners is that low testosterone. And so that can happen in perimenopause and menopause. It can happen to men as well. It's important to know that a sign of low testosterone is a lack of motivation, a lack of motivation, a lack of desire. So last year I was on a full complement of hormone replacement therapy. And, and we found that I was on like way too much. And so we stopped it and I had a six week washout. And you can imagine you go from feeling pretty good to then feeling pretty bad. And I remember talking to Gabrielle Line and I said, I can tell my testosterone is low because I have zero motivation to go to the gym, which is not me. I have zero motivation to do these things. So I had to really just force myself to do it. But I want to just identify and be fully transparent and say that that can be a sign your testosterone levels are low. If you're really feeling incredibly unmotivated, this also ties into one other benefit of creatine use that I think is really interesting. And then we're looking at a study that it talked about as an example, you know, depression is not vis-a-vis, it's related to many factors, you know, gut health, situational circumstances, et cetera. But we know that depression in women is two times higher. We know it's directly linked to hormone milestones like puberty. I mean, I have two teenagers, trust me when I tell you, they are grumpy and moody. And it's also linked to menopause. 
And what's interesting is that if you have a low creatine intake, either from diet or supplementation, you're at 31% greater incidence of depression than those that are taking exogenous creatine supplementation and or getting it from animal-based protein. And I thought that was really interesting, especially coming off the tail end of the past two and a half years. We won't mention what's been going on. We're all quite aware of it. But I think for a lot of people, just also understanding that there's you know, there's also this mental health benefit from creatine use that keeping adequate levels of creatine endogenously in the body is intricately interwoven with depression and anxiety as well. That really struck me was not only is it good for your cognition, your focus, but your mood as well. And it it seems to have from this early data that we're looking at some significant enhancement on, you know, your, your overall mood, motivation, and really depression, which is, which is kind of interesting. I'm not sure if, if there was a mechanism of action identified in that, but it's just remarkable how uh, important creatine seems to be for your overall mental health. There was also some research I read about BDNF, so brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which we know is a stimulatory protein. It diffuses across the blood-brain barrier, but we know that it increases new brain cell production. So it's increasing neuroplasticity, while improving the performance of existing brain cells. And so higher BDNF is a lower risk of depression. So I wonder if it's tied into that. And it's it's interesting how just the process of aging and stress can decrease BDNF, especially those that are not actively learning new skills or hobbies. So I'm gonna, we're gonna touch on neuroplasticity here, but this is why you don't you we're gonna be lifelong learners. We should always be learning. I just spent the weekend with one of my college roommates and we had an amazing time and she's a teacher and we were talking about this and she was saying even in like her own teaching population that she said those that are still continuing to take classes and learn are thriving and those that are kind of at the standstill that, you know, college is 30 years ago and they haven't really taken, you know, they don't do continuing education. They're not investing in conferences. They're not listening to podcasts. They're not reading books and how that's impacting their brain health. And so this just validates that, you know, aging and stress can impact BDNF. We also know that creatine in and of itself, V can improve BDNF levels as well in the body. So it's, you know, a neuroplasticity, learning new things, exogenous supplementation can also be beneficial for brain health. Yeah, I'm obsessed with BDNF. Everything that I think can raise brain-derived neurotropic factor, I, I take. I figure, well, how can that possibly hurt? And exercise is one of those things, right? So the, again, we're back to a positive circle up. If creatine helps you get more motivated, helps you get better exercise, you get more exercise. Well, we know exercise is good for beating up as well. So it's sort of a nice cycle upward instead of the cycle down. Lack of exercise is going to lower your BDNF. Lower creatine is going to lower your BDNF. So again, this is a nice way to think of the, the instead of these cycles down, how can you cycle up? And the way that you do that, you, you take BDNF, you take creatine, which helps you exercise, which helps BDNF, which helps you exercise, which helps BDNF. Just a quick aside, there was a recent study that came out as an avid tennis player, I have to mention this. They showed that tennis both extended your lifespan, but the longest of all sports, but also had the best impact on your overall brain health. Because it's a, both a sport of strategy, at the same time, you're, you're kind of running around the court. But it also applied to, to pickleball, for those of you who are getting into pickleball, which is the new rage. And it even worked in ping pong, showed ping pong that ping pong had a really positive effect on the brain. So you're looking for some exercises to help with your, with your brain. Paddle sports, badminton, tennis, pickleball seems to be the, the best. Yeah, it's really interesting how important I think it is for people to be, whether it's the hand-eye coordination or just the concentration, but doing things that make you a little uncomfortable. When I say uncomfortable, I'm not talking physically uncomfortable per se, but just intellectually like pushing yourself, learning something new, getting outside your comfort zone. I have a friend that's learning. I don't know why she wants to learn a language. Someone in one of my group programs who's saying she loves to do puzzles for that exact reason that she wants to push herself outside her comfort level. And I was actually mentioning to my husband, he just started doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu right before the onset of the pandemic. He was a college athlete. And you know, now that we're in a new part of the state, you know, he isn't able to play seniors level lacrosse. And so for him, he said, it's like playing chess. 
but he gets to roll on, around on a mat with, you know, sometimes guys that are like 20 years younger than him, but he can hold his own. And of course, you know, as a former college athlete, he loves that. He gets that validation that he's still like strong and virile. But I think for each one of us, we have to find ways to constantly be challenging ourselves. And I think on a lot of levels, we're just so fortunate to be in a time where information is is accessible for at any point in time. I have a large stack of books. I'm always reading. I'm always prepping for podcasts. But I have heard a lot about pickleball. I don't I don't know how it differentiates from tennis. And, and I don't want to take like a huge rabbit hole jump, but I'm just curious, how different is it than tennis? I know it's with a racket and a ball. So it's kind of if you were to combine ping pong and tennis and put, put yourself on the ping pong table, it, that would be the best way to describe it. Interesting. Um, yeah. So it, it's a lot less running and a lot more about sort of teamwork and strategy. You can usually play in doubles. And it's just, it's just so much fun because, you know, it's fast paced and you get sort of these crazy wild points. And it, it's just, it's just a lot of fun, but it's a lot of good exercise too, without having to you know, run all across the court. If you want to learn pickleball, it's, it's the sport to get into. It's, it's the fastest growing sport in America. I'll definitely have to check it out because my husband and I will be empty nesters in four years. And so for us, we're looking for all sorts of ways to do things together, new things together. Let's talk about some of the age-related changes that happen in our bodies and how creatine can you know, potentially be a countermeasure to changes in muscle and bone strength, can be implicated in reducing inflammation and oxidative stress. And I did see a couple articles talking about improvement in bone reabsorption. But when I went down that rabbit hole, I didn't feel like the strength of the research was strong enough to be able to say this is an indication per se. Maybe in the future, we'll hear more about it. But I do think in particular for people in menopause, andropause, where we are de facto in a state of chronic low-level inflammation, sometimes high-level inflammation if we're insulin resistant and metabolically unhealthy, but how creatine can be beneficial for these specific timeframes. Well, let's quickly address the, the, the bone issue. So I, I went down the, the research rabbit hole on bone and couldn't find anything specific for creatine you know, that, that was definitively positive. I think the reason for the mixed results, and this is just my personal opinion, but again, I think it goes back to if you're able to lift heavier weights or use heavier bands, Really, what we know for sure is that if you're putting weight on your skeletal system that it can tolerate, it's going to stimulate you know, proper bone growth given you have the right nutrition. So I think what creatine can do is by making your muscles stronger, allowing you to lift heavier and heavier weights under the guidance of professional training. You don't want to go out there and hurt yourself. That, I think, in and of itself could be the way that creatine could help with the bone. It may not be a direct result, maybe an indirect result of creatine. That's just a, a theory because I couldn't find anything definitive in the research. Yeah, I, I was the same. I, I went down that rabbit hole and I wanted it to be true, but I, I didn't feel like the research was strong enough to say this is an indication per se. But I would agree with you that someone that's going to work diligently about building, maintaining muscle is very likely getting improvement in their bone health. And, and one thing I just want to interject is that our bone building accelerates in puberty and then it sort of plateaus. And then interestingly enough, in andropause and menopause, but I can speak more specifically to women because I'm more familiarized with the research, what starts to happen is our bone diminishing activity starts, osteoclastic activity upregulates, which means we're actively breaking down bone as opposed to building bone. And that's why women in many ways are at greater risk for osteopenia, osteoporosis at the time in their lives. Obviously, osteopenia is kind of a, lack of a better way to put it, it's kind of a, a diagnosis that was created by the pharmaceutical company. It's really not a diagnosis per se, because they're comparing the bone tensile strength of a 50-year-old to a 20-year-old, and you can't compare that great of a difference in age. So osteopenia, I don't, I don't get terribly concerned about, but obviously osteoporosis is significant and really does need to be addressed proactively. And interestingly enough, one thing that kind of accelerates a lot of these processes in the body and women is that as we have lower and lower estrogen levels, so tail end of perimenopause, because in menopause, we can have very high estrogen levels prior to going into menopause. 
is that this is what really drives inflammation. It drives the oxidative stress. It drives a degree of insulin resistance. And it also blunts muscle protein synthesis and also satellite cell response to anabolic stimuli, which is a fancy way of saying strength training. So it's not in your head. If you find that in perimenopause and menopause, it is a lot harder to build muscle. You are working against hormones. You know, the hormones that are saying, you know, there's not enough estrogen around and estrogen is definitely one of these hormones that we have estrogen receptors throughout our body, but directly impacts this muscle protein synthesis. And so it is not in your head if you're struggling to maintain and build muscle. Estrogen and testosterone can definitely play a role in that. The power of hormones is undeniable, right? You, you feel it when you go through menopause, you feel it when you go through menopause, you see it when people take artificial steroids. I mean, you you look a gentleman or, or a woman on uh, steroids, you can tell, <laughs> at least I can tell. They're very powerful, both. And, and I think people also underestimate the power of hormones on your mental cognition as well. A lot of effects on your mentality, as you alluded to earlier, about how you're, when your testosterone lowered, you just have no motivation. Well, that's sort of like, you think that's in your head, but it's not. It's a it's a hormonal issue. Exactly. And I think there's, you know, the, the Women's Health Initiative is a study that that we definitely, I definitely talk about on the podcast. But in 2002, the Women's Health Initiative really changed the narrative and the comfort level of clinicians prescribing hormone replacement therapy, made many, many patients scared. There's no other way to put it, scared to take hormone replacement therapy. And I did a really great podcast with Dr. Avram Blumming and Dr. Carol Tavers talking about this. He's a clinician, he's a physician, he's an oncologist, she's a researcher, and they really debunk the Women's Health Initiative. Unfortunately, it was done on an older population of women, many of whom had, you know, they already had insulin resistance. They were former smokers or current smokers. They had high blood pressure, a lot of health issues, and they put them on synthetics and then drew conclusions from that. And so I always like to just interject there's no judgment. There's no shame. You know, I see a lot of women who are fearful to take hormones. And so they're white knuckling it into perimenopause and menopause. And each one of us has to make a decision. And this applies to men as well. Each one of us has to make a decision that makes the most sense to us. But understanding that hormone replacement therapy can be very beneficial in particular for muscle and bone and brain health yeah. and cardiovascular health, et cetera. I've heard that podcast and I paid very close attention because I was in the pharmaceutical industry in 2002 when that study came out and I was partnered with Eli Lilly who made, I think they either funded the study or they, you know, they were making a, they were making a product or hormone replacement therapy for osteoporosis, what it was. And doctors stopped using it. And my Eli Lilly folks were in a frenzy. And I read that study then and I thought, this seems awfully skewed. And it's 20 years later, and, and just the other day, I kid you not, I heard people talking about that study in a negative light, which is a lot of what happened to creatine. When you said, what are some of the common misconceptions? People thought, well, bad for your kidneys, it's bad for your heart. It had all this negative press going into it. But that stuff is 20, 30 years old. It's one of the most studied supplements there is. So it's interesting that you, you use that particular study because I think this is tantamount to that. Like, this is one of the best things you could do. That study sort of ruined uh, HRT for a lot of people, which is a, which is a shame. Absolutely, because there's a whole generation of of women. I think about my mom's generation that have really suffered needlessly because they were told that it was going to give them cancer, and we've now figured out that that's not actually the case. But let's swing back to sleep and sleep deprivation. And the reason why I think this is particularly important, we get a lot of questions on the podcast about sleep. And we know that high stress, chronic stress will actually deplete not just creatine stores, but actually ATP. So again, less energy circulating. And we know that supplementation with creatine based on the research that, that we've both been looking at can impact tasks that rely on the prefrontal cortex, which is our kind of executive functioning brain, the one that helps with cognition and attention and memory, very important also very important because we know women are more sensitive to sleep deprivation and particularly women that are most at risk are the women that are pregnant, breastfeeding, postpartum, and menopause based on this research I was looking at. And I thought that was really interesting because for any woman that's listening that went through pregnancy and then had the postpartum period where you weren't sleeping for weeks or months on end, that's pretty harrowing. But also kind of in this same research article, they were talking about menopause as the same degree 
of sensitization to sleep deprivation. And I think a lot of women that are listening or women know of other women who have spent years of having terrible sleep deprivation in middle age, both in perimenopause and menopause, and it's totally normalized. And I think that's really, really unfortunate. It is. And there was actually a study, I don't know if it was one of the ones you had sent me or one that I had read separately, that talked specifically about creatine's ability to support brain fatigue and sleep deprivation. That to me is is not, I wouldn't call that a band-aid. What I would call that is going to allow you to get the energy you need to function throughout your day properly so that when you do go to bed, you're back in your rhythm. Because one of the things that we know about sleep is it's all about your rhythm, your circadian rhythm, your exposure to light, your your lack of exposure to light in the evening, your cortisol, cortisol spikes and peaks, uh, amongst other things. But, but sleep is a lot about rhythm. If you don't have enough energy during the day and you're resting all day and you're sitting down all day and you're not active, well, then what's going to happen at night is you're going to kind of be in that wired, tired mode. You're exhausted, but yet you're tired, right? And so the information I looked at really sort of said, hey, look, if you're in this sleep-deprived state, not only can it help you get out of it, it can really help your brain kind of heal itself and, and be as pro and be as active as it was had it gotten that sleep. So to me, that that's a way to kind of reset your circadian rhythm, at least your energy circadian rhythm. And then you've got to do other things, obviously, to that. I think it's really important. And, and it's something that I didn't realize until I was looking at the research that what has been different over the last couple months, in particular, because I've been taking creatine consistently, was my sleep quality has improved. And how do I track that? I track that on my aura ring. And then, you know, I proudly will, you know, screenshot it and share it in IG stories. And people say, oh my gosh, how did you get that much deep sleep? And I'm like, I think it's a couple things, but I keep, you know, trying one thing, pulling that out, trying something else. Because sleep in many ways becomes an art form. And I don't think I ever thought about sleep to the degree that I do now. But knowing that potentially the creatine I've been taking has been improving that sleep support, which again, I think most, if not all women and men for that matter, would truly desire to have better quality sleep. Yeah, I've been a chronic insomniac my pretty much my whole life. Recently, I've been sleeping pretty good. I got a whole system down. I do the light in the morning to try to keep it dark in the evening, creatine. Occasionally I'll do melatonin when, when I feel like I just need to reset my clock. But I've been, I've been doing really well, getting up at the same time every morning, going to bed at the same time every evening. And I have been taking creatine now for a couple of weeks, almost every day. That's great. Well, probably important to talk about where we can get food sources of creatine and then talking about dosing? Because I think that will be a huge question for many people. How much do I need? I eat, you know, I'm carnivore-ish. Do I really need more? The answer is yes. But what are some of the sources of animal-based protein that are most creatine dense, I guess is the way to put it? I mean, it's it's going to be all of your, you know, essential meats, right? It's going to be steak and turkey, things of that nature. I don't think fish has a, a ton, but it has, it has more than, than not. But basically, the really only place you're going to get creatine in your diet is from various meat. So it could be pork, it could be, it could be yak, it could be bison. But meat is really going to be the only substantive way to get it into your diet. Hi, friends. Super exciting announcement. Berberine subscriptions are here. And this is your chance to get grandfathered in to a massive discount for life. Berberine is an incredible supplement that I love and which is amazing, especially for this audience. It is a plant alkaloid that has been used for thousands of years in traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine, and it rivals the effect of metformin when it comes to blood sugar control. That's right, if you're looking to take charge of your blood sugar levels, berberine can be an incredible tool in your arsenal to help achieve that. I have noticed huge differences on my CGM, my continuous glucose monitor, when I take berberine. I've personally seen a 20-point drop in my postprandial blood sugar levels when I take berberine, and it's not just me. Friends have told me that. You guys in the audience have told me that. Influencers have reported that back. It truly is incredible, and it's not just blood glucose control, 
Berberine has so many other potential health benefits. It can help modulate inflammation, beneficially affect cholesterol levels, support the gut microbiome, and even activate the longevity pathway, AMPK. That's something that we talk a lot about with fasting specifically. Berberine can actually help do that as well. It took quite a while to bring it to market because we couldn't find a berberine source that tested for all of the purity and potency that we wanted. We finally did find a source. That's the one that you get in Avalon X. It's tested multiple times for purity and potency and to be free of all common allergens as well as heavy metals and mold, which you guys know is so important to me. So if you'd like to have berberine in your daily life and help save money as well as be more sustainable for you and the planet, you need a subscription. It helps reduce packaging and shipping energy. And ultimately, we want to create it all in one large bottle like we did recently with my serapeptase supplement. But here's the thing. We want to make sure that we give you guys the right amount of capsules perfect for you. So we are doing a special subscription launch where you guys can actually choose between two different options, two bottles every two months or two bottles every three months. You will get grandfathered into a 22% off discount for life as long as you keep the subscription active. So now is the time to grab the subscription. And then based on how that goes, whichever is more popular, the two bottles every two months or the two bottles every three months, that will help us decide which type of subscription to launch when we do the large bottle. So this is your chance to snag an incredible discount on Avalon X Berberine 500 and help us figure out what you guys really want in the future with the large bottle option. This is live now and ends July 17th, so snag this deal while you can. That's at avalonx.us. And to stay up to date on all of the latest specials and discounts, definitely get on my email list. That's at avalonx.us slash email list. And you can get text updates and a 20% off code when you text avalonx to 877-861-8318. Of course, you can always use the coupon code MelanieAvalon site-wide to get 10% off all of my products, as well as all of the products from my fantastic partner, MD Logic Health. So again, grab that berberine subscription, let us know what you want, get grandfathered in to an incredible discount for life and take charge of your blood sugar control. All right, now back to the show. You're not eating meat, you're going to really be at risk for being low on creatine. If you're a vegan or vegetarian, especially if you don't even eat any fish, you're going to be at serious risk of a major creatine deficiency. Even if you're eating meat, there's not really enough per kilogram. If you look, it's like, I don't know, I can't remember the exact numbers. Maybe you've got it at your hands, but it's something like 0.8 milligrams per kilogram of meat. Well, a kilogram is 2.2 pounds. I don't eat 2.2 pounds of any meat. So there's not a ton of creatine going in. And the, the data I looked at is that, you know, average woman stores about 100 grams of creatine and excretes a net two or three grams a day. Men hold 120 and excrete about two or three grams a day as well. So you're kind of always in this negative deficiency unless you're eating enough meat to compensate that. So when it comes to the dosing, for me, somewhere between three and five or three and three, six, or even I'd even go to nine if I felt like I needed some creatine because I hadn't had meat in some certain period of time. But I think it's, it is dependent on what your diet is like. Are you vegan? Are you a carnivore uh, athlete? Like, for example, my daughter is a division one track athlete. So she runs the 400 meter, the 100 meter hurdles. You know, that is a lot of energy. She's got three hour practices every day. So I've got her on nine milligrams of creatine a day, broken up into three doses. One with breakfast, one with lunch, one with dinner. My personal thought of them, necessarily like to take nine milligrams all at once. I'm going to take nine. I usually take three, three, and three, or five and five. I like to break it up. I have her just in three, three, and three. And that changed her, her trajectory because in high school, she was, she wasn't, let's put it this way, she wasn't the star of the team. We put her on creatine, some amino acids, and not that this was the only thing. She practiced and trained and did a lot of other things, but she ended up finishing meter states in Pennsylvania, six in the entire state of Pennsylvania. So was it creatine? No, not alone. But did that help? Yeah, I bet you that helps. That's an incredible story. And I think it's it's important for people to understand like the average person listening could probably get away with three grams per day. Like Scott mentioned, his daughter is a division one athlete, totally different, you know, needs based on research that we looked at, the vegetarians and vegans need probably five grams a day. And so just understanding that very athletic people, and by that, I mean, ultra 
level conditioned athletes. I'm not talking about person who does CrossFit twice a week, although that's great. You're probably not the person that needs that high amount of creatine. And also it's interesting, depending on where a woman is in her menstrual cycle, she may need more or less, but we didn't want to get terribly nuanced about that because there's so many other factors that impact hormone regulation and insulin sensitivity throughout a menstrual cycle. But just understanding that three grams a day has been our recommended for the average person that includes myself. But certainly if I were giving this to my very athletic sports-oriented kiddos, it would probably be more because they're still growing. And obviously, if you are vegetarian or vegan, your creatine needs because you're not eating animal-based food or products is going to be higher. And what was interesting, and I just want to make sure I dovetail this into our discussion about vegetarianism and veganism, is that it was even discussed in some of the research that their needs for creatine just based on brain health are even higher because they're not getting those animal-based products. And we respect people's choices. I just wanted to make sure I mentioned that they have to take more creatine to ward off the brain health-related concerns. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we all make our, our individual choices. We res- obviously respect those choices. But I think it's important for people to know when they make any choice, whether it's to eat meat, what those risks are, or to not eat meat, what those what that diet will require you to do. Like we know... Most vegans know that the vitamin B12 is sort of an essential supplement. I would put creatine in that same bucket. If I were a vegan, there's no question I would be taking creatine. I mean, I take it anyway. And I'm not a vegan because I know I'm excreting a little more than I'm taking in. I, I can feel the difference. But for sure, if you're a vegan, you're going to want to, at the very least, do some research on your own, talk to your physician or your functional medicine specialist. And I think you'll find that creatine will be a great addition to your diet. Absolutely. Well, I want to make sure I'm respectful of your time because I know that you have a lot going on as well. This has been an incredible podcast. I hope listeners find it to be just super information savvy. A few things for listeners before we go. If you'd like to submit your own questions for the show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. You can follow us on Instagram. We are ifpodcast. I am at Cynthia underscore Thurlow underscore. Scott is at Longevity Protocol and MD Logic is at MD Logic Health. The show notes for today's episode that will have a full transcript as well as links to everything that we've talked about will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 292. You can get all the stuff that we like at ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. This has been wonderful and we will see you next week. Scott, is there anything that you want to add before we go? Well, yes, I, I would like to add that I have your updated information and the product by the time this airs, which I think is November 21st, that the creatine will be available for purchase on November 21st. So if you are not on the list already, you can order it. It should be able to be ordered through your site, Cynthia, on November 21st. To get access to creatine and more information, listeners can go to Cynthia thurlow.com backslash creatine. Again, that's Cynthia thurlow.com backslash creatine. It's super exciting. I feel like this has been many months coming to fruition and I can't wait to share with the listeners the next product we're going to be working on. I can't wait either. This has been great. Thank you so much for having me, Cynthia. Awesome. This has been so wonderful and we will see you next week. All right. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, everything we discussed on this show does not constitute medical advice and no patient-doctor relationship is formed. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review on iTunes. We couldn't do this without our amazing team. Administration by Sharon Merriman. Editing by Podcast Doctors. Show notes and artwork by Brianna Joyner. Transcripts by Speech Docs. And original theme composed by Leland Cox and recomposed by Steve Saunders. See you next week.